Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Tower and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. This is going to be more of a wrestling heavy episode because there was a lot happening between episodes of from the last episode of this podcast to this episode. In this episode, I'll give you my thoughts on the passing of Terry Funk, the passing of Wyndham Rotunda, aka Bray Wyatt. That's probably going to take about two segments. Then after those tributes, I will be giving my thoughts on AEW All In. And yes, I will talk a little bit about the CM Punk, Jack Perry drama in that segment. So I'm not going to shy away from it, people. Because people know I may be AEW biased to some, but... I will talk about it. Because I don't like this drama. Seriously. Especially airing your drama out on a pre-show nonetheless. Yeah, that's right. Jack Perry aired out his grievances against CM Punk on a pre-show by saying, Real Glass, Crimea River. Or something like that. I'll talk about more thoughts when I get to my all-in review. Then in What's Anthony T. Watching, I will be talking about a film that has one of the wildest titles of 2023. That's right. I went back to my vault. As this film's been out for a couple months now, I haven't reviewed it yet. Since we're still in an actor's and... Writer's Strike. I'm still highlighting indie horror films. So I will highlight this film. And this has pretty much one of the wildest titles of the year. And it's directed by an underground filmmaker legend. We start this episode off with not one, but two tributes here. As between episodes, we lost Two of the greatest minds in professional wrestling. Yes, I'm talking about Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt, a.k.a. Wyndham Rotunda. These are two wrestlers that really made me care about wrestling. As if they were on the card, I was very excited to see them in a match, literally. Whether it's Terry Funk in the ECW days, or whether he was Chainsaw Charlie in WWE in the Attitude Era, to when Bray Wyatt was this cult leader in NXT in WWE, to one of the best characters of this decade in The Fiend. I cared about Wanting to see their matches. I know a lot of people didn't like their matches. Especially The Fiend. But I really liked The Fiend's matches. For the most part. There were a couple here and there where I couldn't tolerate. Like the WrestleMania match against Randy Orton. That one I really hated. With Vince McMahon destroying the character with his Booking, because I remember watching that match and I was so pissed off at how the way that match was booked. Or, sadly, his last match against LA Knight, which I just don't like sponsorships in my matches. It felt like overkill with the sponsorship of the match. But I would see any Bray Wyatt match, whether it's cult leader Bray Wyatt or The Fiend, no matter what, because I liked the wrestler. I liked the character. And that's the same to be said with Terry Funk as well. I liked his character as this stubborn, hardcore icon. He was the guy who got me into ECW. While we're on Terry Funk, let's start off with talking about Terry Funk. Funk here. Because without Terry Funk, I probably would not be into hardcore wrestling. I probably wouldn't be into GCW or any of that hardcore wrestling mentality. Because 
It was some of the matches in ECW, like his Bailey Legal main event match three-way with the Sandman and Big Stevie Cool for a number one contendership against Raven to matches against Cactus Jack in ECW to him teaming with Tommy Dreamer in ECW to the infamous Bobbed Wire match against Sabu in ECW which I still think to this day is one of the most disturbing wrestling matches I have ever seen. And I've seen a lot of disturbing matches, death matches, all that stuff. But that's right up there as most disturbing match I've ever seen. With the Bob the Wire being entangled in Sabu, it was just so disturbing both of them into that bobbed wire. That was just a horror show watching that match. But it lives on. That match lives on to this day. Then you had his WWE run as Chainsaw Charlie. That was such crazy stuff with him, Mick Foley. Their few with the New Age Outlaws. That was such crazy stuff. You had like a dumpster match. Those were the Attitude Era people. All that craziness. Another great moment of Terry Funk was the 1998 Royal Rumble match. Mick Foley and Chainsaw Charlie were beating each other up. As they were the first two entrants in that match. They would beat each other for like nine minutes until Chainsaw Charlie eliminated Mick Foley, a.k.a. Cactus Jack. As that match saw the three faces of Foley. As Foley would come back into the match later on as Mankind and eliminate Chainsaw Charlie from that match 25 minutes into the match. So that was kind of an... Very interesting match. You got all three faces of Mick Foley. Because Dude Love was also in that match as well. Don't ask me why. It's just so crazy. That Royal Rumble. In which they were involved in. As that was a crazy match. And one of the craziest Royal Rumbles I've ever seen. But anyway. Terry Funk will be known as the Hardcore Legend. If it wasn't for Terry Funk, we would not have all this hardcore shenanigans these days, literally. Because you would not see light tubes, glass, bobbed wire. You wouldn't see all this stuff in matches if it wasn't for the fact that Terry Funk was a pioneer in hardcore wrestling. And he's really a guy that really paved the way for today's generation of hardcore slash deathmatch wrestlers. As if it wasn't for the hardcore style of Terry Funk, we would not be having hardcore matches on TV every other week. And that's why I really love Terry Funk. As he really was... A pioneer in bringing hardcore wrestling into the United States. Terry Funk is one of the best wrestlers, I think, of the old school era. As he could do it all. Wrestle, regular matches, hardcore matches. He's definitely a talent that will really truly be missed. As he really paved the way for a lot of wrestlers and paved the way for hardcore wrestling here in the United States. At this time, I would like to offer my condolences to the family and friends of Terry Funk, who sadly passed away on August 23rd at the age of 79. Every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. 
And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scaresack Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scaresack Care, you can go to www.scaresackcare.org. Every donation helps scares that care fight real monsters. Welcome back. Now, I want to also talk about the recent passing of Wyndham Rotunda, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt, as he, too, also sadly passed away between episodes. Now, Wyndham Rotunda had a great wrestling mind, as he really... Always put 100% into his characters. Anytime you've seen him, either as Bray Wyatt or as The Fiend. Now, I remember first seeing him wrestle on NXT when it was so cool to watch NXT. They were at Full Sail University. The good old days of NXT, where it was so good to watch. It was must-see TV. And part of the reason why NXT was must-see TV was Bray Wyatt and his stable, the Wyatt family. One of the things that I really liked about the Wyatt family was the fact that it had a great wrestler leading the faction as Wyndham Rotunda really did a great job portraying the Bray Wyatt character. He really made his character very creepy, very dark, very ominous. It's just like, that's what I want. Characters in wrestling that are outside the box and really connect to you. And his characters, for the most part, connected to me. As I'm such a big horror fan. And the Bray Wyatt character and The Fiend really connected to me. As there were like must-see matches anytime they were on WWE television. He also had a really great promo skills. That's what really I think helped also get over his character a lot. What really made me a big fan of Bray Wyatt. As he knew how to portray his characters. Whether it's the Wyatt family as this demented cult leader. Or this tag team with Matt Hardy. Or his creation, The Fiend. Which I think is probably one of the best wrestling characters of the century. He... Always made sure he did a great job in portraying the characters and getting over with the fans. Even though booking never helped him. Because there were some matches where booking was really bad with Bray Wyatt. And it's not Bray Wyatt's fault. It's the people behind the scenes at WWE. Most notably Vince. But I'm not going to talk about Vince here. We're going to talk about Wyndham Rotunda. Wyndham was able to get over despite all this bad booking. And it is a credit to the way he makes sure he portrays his character. He also has some really great feuds as well. Including Randy Orton. Him and the Wyatt family versus The Shield. His feud with Daniel Bryan was also a really good one too. That was another one that I liked. And I also, I think, liked his Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena from WrestleMania 36. 
as that match, I thought really highlighted the Fiend's character very well. I liked how it was booked and everything. I know a lot of people did not like that match. I loved that match. It really was a weird match, but very entertaining. And it really was probably one of my favorite John Cena matches. And I don't like John Cena. But still, a lot of that credit probably has to do with Bray Wyatt. Because the whole Firefly Funhouse thing also was a really great idea from Rotunda. As it really made me want to tune into Roar or SmackDown. Because I really loved the Firefly Funhouse and that whole gimmick. It was something that was completely out of the box. And it really worked for me as this demented kid show. When we all know it's a cover for The Fiend. It just worked so well. It made the show watchable. I can't watch WWE TV today. But back in the day I could because at least I knew the Firefly Funhouse would be on. And I watched that either through the show or on YouTube. Because I loved Bray Wyatt. I think what he did with the Fiend character was genius. And different. And innovative. And you don't see that a lot in wrestling today. Wrestlers being innovative with their characters. And Wyndham Rotunda really made sure to be as innovative as possible. Even though being under the constraints of WWE. When I heard the news that he passed away, I was so gutted. Seriously. Because this is like a day after Terry Funk passed away. And I was still getting over that. Then that news like came out of nowhere. I think I was about ready to head to bed when I found out the news about this. And I was like shocked. Literally shocked. Because he was 36. So young too. It's just, it was very sad hearing that news. Seriously. As I could not believe it. Another great wrestling talent gone. He sadly passed away of a heart attack. But in early March he contracted COVID. Don't know if the COVID had anything to do with the heart attack. But that was mainly the reason why he was off television after starting a program with Bobby Lashley. We were, a lot of people were like assuming he was having another mental illness issue, but it wasn't. Sadly, it was worse. Now we lost another great wrestler in Wyndham Rotunda. This has just been a very devastating year for me. For a wrestling fan like me, it's been a very devastating year. Between the losses of Jay Briscoe and now Bray Wyatt, it's just been very devastating. These were two of my current favorite wrestlers. And it's just sad that you see them die so young. Anyway, back on topic. Wyndham Rotundo's mock on the business is legendary because he really was an innovator in terms of creating characters and getting over with the fans. He would get over, he he even was a heel and was singing. And the whole audience was singing with him at one time. This is a major heel. That was the passion that Wyndham Rotunda had with the way he handled his gimmicks. And he's truly probably one of the most innovative wrestlers character-wise that's going to be truly missed for years. As he will be remembered definitely as one of the most innovative wrestlers in terms of character and getting over with fans. At this time I'd like to give my condolences to the friends and family of Wyndham Rotunda, aka Bray Wyatt. 
Hi, I'm Anthony T. And I'm director Andrew Duran. And we are the Two from Hell. And we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. We'll be chatting about some of our favorite films, news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two from Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two From Hell Podcast. Trust me, you're seriously not going to want to miss the show. Welcome back. Now, AEW recently had its all-in event on... Sunday, August 27th, in London, England, at Wembley Stadium, where it set an attendance record for a pro wrestling event at 81,035. It was definitely one of the biggest events in wrestling history, as this was a very good show. I will go first into the matches, then I will go into my positives and my negatives, Including the stupid brawling, which I have to talk about. This ridiculous. That I thought we were over this crap where wrestlers are acting like five-year-old children. I really thought we were over this. Seriously. But we're not here, people. I will go into my negatives because that's absolutely a negative on this event. But I'll run down the event results first. The event started off on Zero Hour, where MJF and Adam Cole defeated Aussie Open to become the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. That was a little surprising. I didn't think they would win the ROH World Tag Team Championship, but they did. That was a little surprised. My theory was going to happen on this pay-per-view, which I would go into later on with the main event. Because I had a theory about this main event, which didn't happen. It just didn't happen. But I'll get into that in the positives. Because when they won the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles, I thought my theory was going to happen on this pay-per-view. But it didn't. When we get into the positives, because I will be talking about that match. The other zero-hour match, Hook defeated Jack Perry... By submission to reclaim the FTW Championship. Then the all-in pay-per-view started off with CM Punk defeating Samoa Joe. Then Bullet Club Gold of Juice Robinson and Jay White. With Kenoshke Takeshka defeated the Golden Elite of Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, and Hangman Adam Page. FTR retained... The AEW World Tag Team Championship by defeating the Young Bucks. Eddie Kingston, Penta El Zero Mierdo, and Best Friends. And Orange Cassidy defeated the Blackpool Combat Club, Mike Santana and Ortiz. Soraya became the new AEW Women's Champion by defeating Tori Storm, Hukaru Shida, and Dr. Britt Baker. Dobby Allen and Sting defeated Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage in a coffin match. Will Ospreay defeated Chris Jericho. The Acclaimed and Billy Gunn became the new AEW Trios champions by defeating the House of Black. And in the main event, MJF retained the AEW World Heavyweight Championship by defeating Adam Cole. Now on to the positives. First positive. No heel turn in the main event. I really thought somebody was going to turn on somebody. I thought either MJF was going to turn on Adam Cole. Or Adam Cole was going to turn on MJF. But nobody turned on each other. I did not see that coming. Especially in the beginning of the show at zero hour. When... MJF and Adam Cole won the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship. For sure, I thought somebody was going to turn on somebody in the main event. For sure. Then have this 
can they coexist type of storyline to continue that storyline. But no, it didn't happen. As they had a great match. It was a great main event. A couple of highlights in the main event included MGF doing a dive through the second rope, which I think he's never done before. Cole would hit a heat seeker for a two count one point. A lot near falls. Cole would hit a tombstone on MJF at the commentary desk. Then rolled him up to the ring for a two. A lot of great back and forth action. The two had great chemistry with each other here. As there was a lot of psychology in this match that really kept me interested. As you had this question on who's going to turn on who. And you're waiting and you're waiting. And it never happened. Then... The two would hit the double clothesline on each other for a double pin. Then Adam Cole would get on the mic and ask for five more minutes. MGF then said that they're doing this thing until they have a winner. And then the bell rang again. We had more exchange of near falls. Then MJF pushes Cole into the rough. MJF goes for a chair and both him and Adam Cole play catch with the chair, and they both pretend that they've been hit by the chair. That was a nice spot in this match. MJF would hit a heat seeker for a two count. Cole would hit a straight jack suplex on the apron, then proceed to hit a Panama Sunrise on the floor. Cole would try another Panama Sunrise, but MJF pushes the ref in the way to take the move Knocking the ref out. Then MGF gets his dynamite diamond ring out. But he is torn to use it. But puts it back in his trunks. That's when Roderick Strong comes out and low blows MJF. Adam Cole hits the Panama Sunrise in the boom. The ref starts counting slowly. And MGF kicks out at two. Then Roderick Strong throws the belt into the ring to Adam Cole. He grabs it, but he throws it out of the ring. As Adam is yelling at Roddy, Roddy leaves. MGF rolls up Adam Cole for the three count in a great match. Post-match, MGF is telling Adam Cole that these people love you. He grabs the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles. Adam Cole throws his belt out of the ring. MGF gets angry. Hands Adam Cole the AEW title. Turns his back as Roderick Strong yells to Adam Cole to hit him with the AEW title. But he doesn't. And they hug it out to end the pay-per-view. As Roderick Strong had to be held back by Matt Bennett and Matt Taven of the Kingdom. That was a great match. I thought the post-match angle was very good as well. As they're continuing this Adam Cole MJF storyline, as this is probably the best thing in wrestling right now. This whole Adam Cole MJF storyline in any promotion. This is probably the best storyline in wrestling. And it's not the bloodline. That jumped the shock recently. So this is going to be a very interesting couple of months here to see when the storyline ends. Does this end at All Out, which probably took place after this episode aired. You also have AEW's new pay-per-view Wrestle Dream, October 1st. Maybe that's where they end this storyline. Or do you go all the way to full gear in November? It's going to be a very interesting couple of months with this whole MJF Adam Cole storyline. As I really did not see this coming. I thought we would get somebody turning on somebody here. I was shocked. If anything, those Ring of Honor tag team titles are now important in the storyline. Because I really think that might be the linchpin when somebody turns on someone. Because you know who's going to be feuding for those titles. The Kingdom. Or Matt Bennett and Matt Taven. You can bet that. Because they usually wrestle... On the Ring of Honor. You can bet that that will probably be happening soon. That feud. 
because they're already in the storyline with Roderick Strong. I would not be surprised if they're the next challenges for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles. And it makes the most sense. But anyway, let's move on to the next positive. Will Ospreay is just gold. This guy cannot have a bad match. I really enjoyed his match with Chris Jericho here. I was surprised this was a clean match. There might have been like an interference spot or two from Chris Jericho. But there wasn't much interference in this match. And I was surprised. I thought Don Collis would try to interject himself into this match. But he didn't. As Will Osway was just great in this match. This was a fast paced match. Osprey hits a shooting star press on Jericho. With him hanging on the ropes. That was an insane move. It was a great spot fest. At one time Jericho had Osprey in the Lion Tamer. And Osprey gets hit with the bat by Sammy. Jericho tries to go for an Oz cutter, only gets a one count. That had an electric feel to it, the match itself. Jericho would hit the low blow and the Judas effect for a two. Osprey would hit the hidden blade and Stormbreaker for a two count. Osprey would then hit another hidden blade and Stormbreaker for the win. Post-match, Jericho pushes Sammy away after Sammy tries to get the audience to show some respect to Jericho. As they're really pushing this Jericho storyline where everything is crumbling around him. That's going to be an interesting storyline to keep an eye on. Next positive, FTR and the Young Bucks have another really good match. These guys cannot have a bad match. I don't think it's in their vocabulary. As those two teams work very well with each other. For some of the match, it felt like a singles match between Matt Jackson versus Dax Hardwood. And both of them did a very good job keeping my interest in the match with the action. Because they're both really good wrestlers. They are. This match had a lot of great near falls. Bucks would try to hit their finisher, but missed. FTR would hit the Bucks finisher, then Shadow Machine on Matt for a two count. Cash would hit a springboard 450 and miss. The Bucks would pin Cash after hitting their finisher for a two count. The Bucks would hit Shadow Machine on Dax, then hit Cash with their finisher for a second time for a two count. The Bucks then went to the Meltzer driver on Cash, but Dax got in the way to break up the move. This led to FTR hitting Shadow Machine on Nick Jackson for the win in a very good match. I enjoyed this match a lot. Anytime the Young Bucks and FTR wrestle, it's usually a very good match. In the same way that all the FTR Briscoe matches were very good matches. That was another really great highlight from this pay-per-view. Another one was Billy Gunn and the Acclaimed become AEW Trios champions. Now, I think this was the perfect place for them to win this. I know they wrestled for the belts twice and lost, but this was like their third time trying to get the titles. And they've done a great job telling this story about how Billy Gunn was wrapping things up in his career. The way he put his boots in the ring. Then the House of Black stole Billy Gunn's boots and threw it down an incinerator. This led to Billy Gunn coming out back as the badass. This match was contested under no hold spot rules. Meaning pretty much anything goes. That's why I kind of wanted to see in a lot of these House of Black Open Challenges, where you get to pick the stipulation. I know some of them were good with kicking Julia Hot out from ringside. That's another good stipulation to the match. Because she always causes interference. But no hold spot match means she can get into this match and not be disqualified. So there was a lot of good stuff in that match. The action was fast-paced. There was a lot of good spots. Billy Gunn at one point would smash a chair onto Brody King. The House of Black would dominate most of the offense in this match like they've had in the other two matches. But 
this match was different as the acclaimed and Billy Gunn managed to get the upper hand. Billy Gunn would hit the Famouser on Buddy Matthews at one point for two count. After Julia Hot pulled the referee out of the ring, Black hit his finisher the end for a two count. The Acclaims would come in and hit their finisher on Brody King for two. They continued to attack. Gunn would hit the Famouser, and the Acclaim would hit their finisher again for the win and become new AEW Trios champions. It was about time that Billy Gunn and the Acclaimed got the trios titles. This was the perfect place to give it to them. Especially when the atmosphere of the Wembley Stadium was so electric all night. It was the perfect place for the title change. Post-match, the House of Black would hand the Acclaim and Billy Gunn the titles. In a sign of respect. Which probably wraps up this feud. And the other final positive. British talent was over. In this pay-per-view. I like the fact that both Soraya and Will Ospreay were put over in this pay-per-view. You are having this pay-per-view at Wembley Stadium. You had British talent on the card. They needed to be put over to tell your British fans that you care about your British talent. And I had no problem with both Soraya and Will Ospreay going over in their matches. I thought that was the right call by Tony Khan and booking on this pay-per-view. Now let's move on to the negatives. First negative. The women's four-way wasn't given much time. One of the problems, I think, with AEW is their women's division. I don't think their women's division get enough time, especially in this four-way match. This match felt like it had, was under 10 minutes. I wish they had a little longer to work. It would have been nice since it's a four-way match, and it really felt like it was all about Soraya and Tony Storm throughout most of this match. And I really thought that was a problem with this match. The way this match was constructed. Plus the fact that Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker felt like they were background players in this match. Literally. As most of the spotlight in this match felt like it was Soraya and Tony Storm. I can understand Soraya because she's from Britain originally. But they put way too much focus on Tony Storm here. And this whole outcast dynamic. Which is headed for a stable breakup. It's just, if you're doing a four-way match, it needs time. Nine minutes is not going to tell a whole story. Literally. And this is what it felt like this match had. Nine minutes. And you can't do a nine-minute Four Corners match. It doesn't work. It needs at least 15-20 minutes. So each of the four participants get their offense in. And the match doesn't feel rushed. I wish they did better with their women's division. As they got some great female talent on that roster. Alright. The other negative. Brawl in. Yeah, I have to talk about this stupid thing. About how... CM Punk got into a fight with Jack Perry backstage before the start of All In. And right before CM Punk was supposed to face Samoa Joe. Now, I first found out about this when I was heading over to YouTube to watch the Zero Hour special. Because I got home from work late. And the first thing I saw in the headlines was... CM Punk, Jack Perry incident. Meaning I have to click on the video to see what happened. Probably a good thing that I clicked on that video. Because literally, I could probably see where this thing started. It started during Jack Perry's match against Hook. On the Zero Hour pre-show. When Jack Perry went to the camera and said something like, Real glass, cry me a river. Now, first of all, I don't think that was 
a planned spot in the match for Jack Perry to go to the camera and say that. That is so unprofessional and dumb. I do not need to hear somebody's personal beef with another wrestler during a wrestling match. Because that's what that meant. I knew it from the wrestling news a couple weeks before that there was an incident with Jack Perry wanted to use real glass to write himself off television. And CM Punk and everybody else told him no. Then, I don't even condone what CM Punk did afterwards. Allegedly. They got into a fight backstage in gorilla position. Because CM Punk's match was next after Jack Perry and Hook. I think Jack Perry did that purposely. Seriously. I don't see why you would do that when you know CM Punk's going to be at gorilla position. Because his match is next. I really think that was premeditated. To see if he can start up CM Punk. And he did. To the point where he almost walked off the show. Or sent that show into chaos. But thankfully he did the match after Jack Perry versus Hook. But both of these people here are at fault. And I'm glad Tony Khan if this is true. Because there's already been rumors as I'm recording this that CM Punk and Jack Perry have been suspended pending an investigation into the matter. They have to be suspended. Seriously. This is one of the company's biggest shows ever and we have another high-profiled incident with CM Punk. Now, clearly... I should be saying, oh, this is CM Punk's fault because he caused the ruckus. But when you take a look at that video of the Hook versus Jack Perry match, that thing started during the match when Jack Perry went to that camera and said to something like, real glass, cry me a river. Then they do the spot where Jack Perry goes through the glass. I don't get it. Seriously. Stop acting like five-year-olds. This is the biggest pay-per-view in company history. And we got people that want to act on their grudges. They can't bury hatchets, these people. This drama in AEW. This drama in WWE. Enough, please. I'm sick of hearing and reading about this stuff. And I got to talk about this, too. Thankfully, that did not ruin the show because that was such a great show. But still, it's a kind of a black mark on the show. But it wasn't as serious as that out-of-control chaos known as Brawl Out from last year. At least Tony Khan addressed the matter saying there was an incident before the show at the press conference. And there are rumors going around that CM Punk and Jack Perry are suspended pending an investigation. This has got to stop. Please. This almost sent the show into chaos. But thankfully it didn't. And everything ran smoothly. But I don't want to see that in wrestling. Seriously. Can we just get along? Please. It's not hard to ask. With that aside, this was a great pay-per-view. A lot of great matches. I thought the show was electric all show long. I really enjoyed All In London. It's definitely one of the best pay-per-views of the year. As I'm giving it 5 out of 5 stars. Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast where the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. 
And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I consider the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers are smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right, exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. You can find Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show on social media on the Slasher app, Facebook and Instagram at Anthony T-Star and Wrestling. You can find the show on Twitter at K Media. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and other major podcast providers. You can also listen to the show on YouTube at YouTube.com slash at K Media and Discussions.com. And don't forget to join the official Facebook group of Anthony's Horror and Wrestling Show. On Facebook, type the name of the show in the group search box. Crusade continues in. What's NTT watching this episode? Well, I told you in the beginning of this podcast that I'll be reviewing a film that has one of the wildest titles of the year. Yes, this title is so wild, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. The film that I'm reviewing is from cult film director... Donald Farmer, who's had many credits in his long career. The film I'm reviewing, that's being directed by cult film director Donald Farmer, is... Wait for it. Wait for it. Debbie Does Demons. That's right. That's an actual title for a film. Debbie Does Demons. And no, I am not going to go making jokes about the title because you people probably know what it's a play off of. And it's kind of a family-friendly podcast. It's PG-13, so I can't go that way. I just can't do it, seriously. But so many people already know... What it's a play of. So we're not going there. Instead, I will go to the films imdb.com to give you a synopsis of this film since yours truly is reviewing this film. Debbie is the host of a paranormal ghost hunter show. But can she come to the rescue when four friends use a Ouija board to summon a 300-year-old witch. Go up, Debbie. You're gonna need it. The film stars Jessa Flux, who you might know from Murder Size, a film that I reviewed a couple of episodes ago. Ronnie Jonah, Angel Nicole Bradford, and Morgana Morgan Thompson. So this has an interesting cast of up-and-coming B-movie Screen Queens here. Is this film any good? The answer is yes. One of the reasons why I enjoyed this film was the fact that this had some very good direction from Donald Farmer. I like the way he does a very good job keeping the tone of the film very gothic while also making this a fun film as well. As I was really enjoying everything in this film. Whether it's the action as summer had a surreal feel to it. More like a funny way, which is good. And also, I really like the fact that he really takes his time to make sure that the scenes are entertaining and work. Because this is one of those weird B-movies where 
you need stuff to work because this is not one of those serious horror films hence the title of the film but frankly I really think he does a good job in keeping that action moving to the point where you are going to have a fun time watching this film he also does a very good job making sure that he gets the chemistry he needs with his actors and actresses in the film because when you make a fun film like Debbie Does Demons one of the things that needs to be on point is the chemistry between each of the actors and the actresses and Farmer does a great job making sure that he directs them in a way that the actors and the actresses have good chemistry with one another. It made some of the scenes in this film fun to watch. It made some of the characters fun to see. And this is basically what you want to see in a B-movie like this. As you're really looking for a fun time. Speaking of the acting, I think the acting in this film was very good. I think helps drive this film. As there's some really good performances from Jessa Flux as the villain Carmela Kernstein, Angel Bradford as Debbie, and Morgan Thompson as Lauren. All three actresses in this film were very good in this film. They do a really good job with their performances in this film. They really help make this film better through their portrayal of their characters. And the three of them also had some very good chemistry with each other, especially towards the end of the film, as those scenes right at the end were very good and was a really good way to end this film. The screenplay written by Farmer and Newt Willett was good. I liked the screenplay. I like they kept the tone very gothic while also trying to be funny at the same time. It's tough to do because you're basically in like horror comedy territory here with Debbie Does Demons. Well, with a title like that, it's going to be a horror comedy. Let's face it. But I like how... They write the characters here. They make the lines very funny. That keeps you interested in the story. It also provides a few laughs. I like the fun tone to it as well. As it really does a good job in making this a fun low budget film. And there's also some weird stuff too in this film that you will not believe seriously, which I will not go into detail here because this is a PG-13 show, but just, it's crazy. Just take my word for it. This is a, a film that people I think should check out if you're really into this lo ultra low budget B-movie craziness then definitely check out Debbie Does Demons as this film has really good direction from Donald Farmer, really good performances from Jessa Flux, Angel Bradford, and Morgan Thompson. It's currently available through Culture Shot Releasing, and I give this film four stars. Now, next episode... I was going to review AEW's All Out, but I kind of decided against it because I still want to keep it to the big four pay-per-views. And let's face it, All In's going to become a regular event now, so that's pretty much going to be your fourth big pay-per-view of the year. So I kind of made the decision to not, review all out for this podcast so for future AEW pay-per-views I will be reviewing Revolution Double or Nothing All In and Full Gear as that's their big four pay-per-views of the year now as they are going back to Wembley Stadium next year for All In so it's going to be a major pay-per-view it pretty much is their Wrestlemania now all in. It was all out, but now it's all in. So, I kind of don't want to do a fifth review. Then I would have to do a fifth WWE pay-per-view review. And I'm 
about tradition. I'm about the old school. I always believe in the big four pay-per-views or premium live events. So, from here in, AEW will be Revolution, Double or Nothing, All In, in full gear. WWE will be the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. So that's their four major pay-per-views. Just to keep things balanced here on this podcast. So, I'm not showing favoritism to any company. Even though I like to talk about AEW a lot on this podcast. When it comes to reviews, it's only fair to review four AEW shows and four WWE shows per year. And they're pretty much around the same time anyway. So that's that. I will probably give you quick recaps of AEW All Out and maybe WWE Payback too. As I'll probably watch both shows between episodes. But don't expect full-on reviews as they're kind of not major shows. Maybe I give a segment to both shows, but that's about it. Because, well, I can't be doing reviews of wrestling shows every month. It would be kind of redundant. Plus the fact, this is supposed to be a horror podcast too. And it's been kind of tough right now trying to get guests due to the strike and everything. So I will be looking into getting some horror-related guests. Hopefully for next episode. Speaking of horror-related guests or news or films, I'm looking to review your indie horror film. In fact, I'm looking for feature films. Films that I like. 16 minutes or over. If you have a feature film that you want me to review on my podcast, on my What's Anthony T. Watching segment, you can email me at anthonytshorrorshow at gmail.com. That is where you can get a hold of me and send your screener, and I'll review your film for a future episode of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. As I'm still doing the indie crusade here until this actors and writers strike is over. So if you have a film that you want me to review, send it over to AnthonyTshorrorShow at gmail.com and I will review it on a future episode. Even if the strike is over, I will still review your film. So if you're interested, send me an email at AnthonyTshorrorShow at gmail.com and I will review your film for a future episode. Just make sure it's a feature film, please. Also, the latest episode of Two From Hell movie podcast is out on Doc Discussions Network. Me and Zombie talk about the strike, talk about the cons that we are going to as we're both going to different cons. We even talk about a film that is probably... The wildest and craziest found footage film you will ever see on that episode and more. You can check the Two From Hell podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Doc Discussions Network and Film Arcade Media YouTube. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling. Support indie horror. This has been a Film Arcade Media production.